You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week number 10 of None Like Him. Today's teaching focuses on the truth that God is sovereign. So you made it, Um, both those of you here in person and those of you diligent and faithful online listeners. It is our final class together. Um, But not to burst your bubble, you did not reach the finish line. You just merely completed 10 laps. But keep running, keep running, striving to know God more, Um, which we know from studying his incomprehensibility that we can never fully know him. But certainly it should be our life journey to try to get to know him better. As I reflect back on my many years of being a Christ follower, Truly, what's made the biggest difference in my faith growing is just knowing him more and understanding his character more and getting a a clearer picture of who he is. And I trust that your knowledge of God has deepened into a greater understanding of his amazing attributes. My prayer for each of us going forward is for that increased awareness to penetrate our hearts in a way that shines to the world around us, that we would be more conformed to his image. Um, But before we look at God's sovereignty, please join me in prayer. Father God, we just acknowledge that you are sovereign. You are sovereign over all of creation, and you are sovereign over us personally. Forgive us for the times that we try to put ourselves on the throne and ignore the fact that that is your rightful place where you reign. Um, Lord God, we just do stand in awe of you. And when we lose that awe, please just through your spirit prick our heart that we would return to just humble adoration of how amazing you are. Guide us now, Lord God. Speak in spite of me. Speak despite me. Just to reveal your truth to these precious daughters of yours. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So the study of God's attributes culminates with his sovereignty, his infinite rule. Some definitions I saw for sovereign are possessing supreme or ultimate power, exercising supreme authority, not under the authority of another. God, as creator of heaven and earth, has absolute right and full authority to do his active will and to allow his permissive will whatever he desires. Jen defined it as infinite authority, which makes complete sense, since he is the author of all. God's omnipotence, which we studied last week, means that there are no limits on his ability. God's sovereignty means there are no limits on his authority. John Piper explained it this way, it is God's right and power to do all that he decides to do. Tozer wrote that God is supreme over all things. There is no one above him. He is absolute Lord over creation, and his sovereign lordship means nothing is out of his control, and there is nothing that hasn't been foreseen or planned. According to Arthur Pink, God is subject to none, influenced by none, absolutely independent. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. Where our absolute comfort lies in all of this is the sum total of all of God's attributes. If God did not possess each of the attributes we've studied, his incommunicable ones, as well as the other lists that we can hope to possess, 
then the above definitions of sovereign would be terrifying. In fact, I'm going to read those definitions again. And as I do, I want you to picture Hitler or Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden or Joseph Stalin possessing supreme or ultimate power, supreme authority, absolute right and full authority to do whatever he desires, no limits on authority or power. It's quite horrifying to picture those people that I named with those descriptions. And actually, not even just evil dictators. It's even horrifying to picture humans with that kind of power. I don't want that kind of power. And to be brutally honest, I don't really want any of you to have that kind of power. Um, But now let me read those definitions again. And this time, dwell on the fact that these describe a being who can only and always be infinitely wise, loving, kind, gracious, merciful, just, holy, and he knows all and he sees all, possessing supreme or ultimate power, exercising supreme authority, absolute right and full authority to do whatever he desires, no limits. It's quite a different sense, isn't it? When Piper states that God has power and authority to do all that he decides to do, or when Pink writes all that he pleases to do, we know that all God desires or plans is in line with his character. We looked at his immutability. He cannot change who he is. He can not only not change, he can't even very slightly. So his desires will never be less than holy. His plans never less than completely wise. And his ways never less than perfect. Jen explained that this is why we studied sovereign last. Not only is infinite rule difficult to grasp, but it would be difficult to trust if we had not first spent time considering his other attributes. Who God truly always was, is today, and always will be. His sovereignty, therefore, should provide us with much reassurance and peace. God can only use his authority for our ultimate good. And a key word there is ultimate. Life may not feel good in the moment, or maybe even for an entire season. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon stated that God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we can't trace his hand, we must trust his heart. To believe that is the key to accepting his sovereignty. Let me read some other thoughts of Spurgeon. There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne. Yet Spurgeon points out that there is also no doctrine more hated by many. He said that men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. But he adds, it is God upon his throne whom we trust. I want to read several scripture verses. Job 42.2, this is Job speaking. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth in the seas and all deep. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, 
but the Lord establishes his steps. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God keeps his promises every single one. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I also want to read some additional verses clarifying why God has authority and therefore is sovereign. Deuteronomy 4.39, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath, there is no other. And the first part of that Isaiah verse that I just read stated the same truth. There is none like God. Jeremiah 18.6, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Surely the potter, the artist, the creator has complete authority to form and design the lump of clay as he desires. Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it, and you are my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. And Isaiah 45, verses 4 through 6. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. That's why he's sovereign. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, we looked at this verse a few weeks ago, speaking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What is true of God is true of Jesus. All the fullness of God dwells in him, including sovereignty. So, to address the elephant in the room, any discussion of sovereignty opens the door to the age-old debate of God's sovereignty versus man's free will. How do we reconcile those two concepts? Theologians have written volumes about this topic and have debated it for decades, and yet there remains Christians on both sides of the issues, 
as well as many who just try to straddle it somewhere in the middle. I certainly do not have time to delve into what seems to be a theological abyss, nor am I the person to lead that lesson. The purpose of our time is to focus on the fact that God is sovereign and what that means to us personally. I will address it just slightly so that you don't think I'm a complete coward. Um, and actually, maybe I am a little bit of a coward because really all I'm going to do is sum up some points that Pastor Tony said in a sermon a couple of years ago. But anyway, um, these are some points that he had in one of his messages of these parallel truths. Truth number one, God is sovereign and rules over all. Psalm 115.3, you looked at this one actually in your homework. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And I earlier read Isaiah 45, 4 through 6. I'm now going to read verse 7, which comes right after the declaration of, I am the Lord and there's no other. It goes on to say, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Truth number two, God is all-powerful and able to do anything in line with his character. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. James 1.13, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. We know that he cannot go against his character. Pastor Tony explained that God is absolutely sovereign, but he never functions in a way that reduces human responsibility. Joshua 24, 15, in fact, challenges the reader, you choose this day whom you will serve. However, we do not have absolute power to defy God's sovereignty. God is not held up by our failures. We do what we want, we make our choices, yet we cannot hinder the sovereign purposes of God. Praise God for that truth. It may hurt our brains to fully grasp, and it's okay to just rest in the mystery, to sit in the tension between those two parallel concepts of God's sovereignty and man's will. Yet isn't it a great comfort to know that our poor decisions, our disobedience, will not derail the perfect plan of God. I want to look at a very well-known story in Genesis which exemplifies this. I'm only going to briefly summarize the plot line as I'm sure you are all familiar with it. Jacob had 12 sons, and the Bible tells us that he loved his son Joseph more than the others. And he didn't even really hide that sentiment. He gave him a beautiful robe of many colors. And Joseph's brothers were jealous of him to the extent that they plotted against him, sold him into slavery, and then lied to their father that he had been killed by an animal. You know the next few chapters in Joseph's life, how he's living in Egypt, eventually rises to a high position. There were some setbacks, like when he was imprisoned for a while, but he obtains the rank of overseer of all the land and saves Egypt from severe famine. He miraculously assists and is reunited with his family, which in fact is how the Israelites come to be in Egypt, all part of God's plan. Near the end of Genesis, when his brothers fear that Joseph will hate them for the evil they did to him, and they beg his forgiveness and pledge to be his servants, let me read Joseph's response to them in Genesis 50, 19 through 21. 
But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph's brothers made their own choices, bad ones, evil ones, impure motive and intent. Yet because God is sovereign, it did not hinder or change his plans to fulfill the covenant promise he had made to Abraham years before. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. I want to share some of Tozer's thoughts. The sovereignty of God implies his absolute freedom to do all that he wills to do. God is absolutely free. No one can compel, hinder, or stop him. What we just discussed with the story of Joseph, that man could not stop his divine plan. God is free to do as he pleases, always, everywhere, forever. And reading from Tozer, God's sovereignty means that if there's anybody in this wide world of sinful men that should be restful and peaceful in an hour like this, it should be Christians. We should not be under the burden of apprehension and worry because we are the children of a God who is always free to do as he pleases. I think this is so timely during this season of COVID and uncertainty and division in our country. There is not one rope or chain or hindrance upon him because he is absolutely sovereign. God is free to carry out his eternal purposes to their conclusion. God does not play by ear. He does not doodle or follow whatever happens to come into his mind or let one idea suggest another. God works according to the plans which he purposed in Christ Jesus before Adam walked in the garden before the sun, moon, and stars were made. God, who has lived all our tomorrows and carries time in his bosom, is carrying out his eternal purposes, and his eternal purposes will not change. And we know those eternal purposes are perfect and good. Pink pointed out in his book that God doesn't do, you can fill in the blank, Whatever God carried out or is carrying out currently in your life, he's not doing that because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do because God is doing it. God doesn't respond. God dictates. He deems what is perfect. The key to God's freedom is that in order to be sovereign, God must have absolute power and authority, which as we've discussed, he does. We have examples of people with power but no authority, like Samson. Samson had incredible strength and might, but he had no authority. And with the current day example, we have um, the United Nations, who has complete authority, but really lacks power. Because if a country wants to ignore their sanctions or edicts, they can. But we worship a God who has infinite power and infinite authority and therefore is completely sovereign over the affairs of our life and the entire world and you personally. Tozer wrote, Nothing and nobody can stop God. You may say God means well 
and he has power and authority. But some unforeseen circumstance may derail his plans. But for God, there are no unforeseen circumstances. Unforeseen circumstances are everywhere around you and me. But the sovereign God has seen the end from the beginning. He knows every man. God is the sovereign God who's having his way in the whirlwind and the storm. And when the storm is over and the whirlwind of history has blown itself out, the God who sat on the throne with the rainbow round about it will still be seated on that throne. I just ended with the phrase, seated on the throne. The story is told of a man whose son was killed, and he cried out to God, Where were you, God, when my son was brutally murdered? And God answered him, I was in the exact same place when my son, my one and only son, was brutally murdered, seated on my throne. I could have asked 22 years ago, that deepest valley I told you I went through, God, where were you when my sweet, innocent son was repeatedly abused at the hand of a religious person, when he was forced to bear such intense shame and humiliation, even though none of it was his fault? And God could have answered me, Julie, I was in the same place as when the exact same thing happened to my son, when he was abused at the hand of religious people, when he bore shame and humiliation despite his innocence. I was seated on my throne, reigning in sovereignty with all authority. Ladies, despite your circumstances, your unanswered prayers, your cross you may be bearing, know that God is almighty and is seated on his throne and is also ever with us, sees all, knows all, calls you daughter, He's reigning in full authority, and his plans will not be thwarted. Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a verse that we can sometimes quote almost flippantly and automatically. But please hear it now and let the profound truth of it pierce your heart, bringing you much comfort. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And then it goes on with this exhortation to us and a promise from God. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. If I were to say to you, I have great plans for you, it really means nothing because I have no power or authority to carry out those plans. But when God tells you, I have plans for you, that means everything, because he does have the power and authority to carry those plans to completion. He who began a good work in you. Oh, friends, what a comforting assurance that is. Seek him with all your heart, knowing he will be found by you. As a side note to my personal story, because it's an incredible example of just how thoroughly sovereign God is. And it brings me to tears, not out of sadness, but out of gratefulness. How his perfect plans have been in place from eternity. Seven years prior to that deep valley, 
when I was pregnant with that little boy, my husband and I chose to name him Joseph, having no idea what deep meaning that would one day have. What man meant for evil, God intended for good. And we cling to that promise. We haven't seen all the goodness yet, but we cling to that promise. In concluding this study, none like him, we have grappled with a lot of big concepts, tried to explain the infinite attributes of God that are difficult to clearly define and even harder to fully grasp. I want to reiterate what I said in our very first week together and what I alluded to at the beginning of today. Yes, it's important to gain the knowledge, but the value of that knowledge rests only in if it transforms us. Does the head knowledge travel to our heart? How we view God, are we in awe before him, bowed in humble adoration? Does our perception of God affect how we view ourselves, chosen, beloved, safe in the everlasting arms, our identity, our self-worth, our value to the creator, our purpose here on earth. Do we have a divine purpose? Do our gut-level, brutally honest prayers reflect the true belief that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal, infinite, good, does the level of peace in our daily lives indicate that we know in the depths of our soul that God never changes and is always with us, omnipresent, and fully able to handle anything that comes our way? Does our outlook to the future reveal a sincere belief that God is sovereign and a sincere trust in the pure goodness of his authority, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm going, to read by, I'm going to close by reading the list of God's attributes that Jen listed on page 24. And as I read them, please know that your heavenly Father is all of these to each one of you all the time. Rest in that knowledge of who he is and say to yourself, yep, exact same God to me. Exact same God today and tomorrow. Praise him for that gift and live accordingly. A life in gratitude and exaltation to him who deserves all honor and glory. And actually, I'm not going to read the list by myself. Please join me if you turn to page 24 of Jen's book, if you have it with you. If not, maybe you can peek over the shoulder of someone next to you. I think it's good for us all to read it together, and it will also help me because I have a really hard time reading this list without crying. Only God is, please join me, infinite, incomprehensible, self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, immutable, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, sovereign, and then I also want us to read the other list. And as you read it, just be saying to yourself, God is infinitely, please join me, holy, loving, just, good, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, 
wise, jealous for his glory, faithful, righteous, truthful. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we have no words, so please take our lives. Let our lives and our hearts show you how grateful we are for who you are, all that you are and always have been and always will be, and all that you are to us personally. We bow before you in humble adoration, and we stand before you in awe. We love you, Lord. Please take our insufficient words and be honored and exalted. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.